This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. I have a word that I want to share with you, but before I do that, I just as we were worshipping, uh, the Lord just laid Ecclesiastes 3 upon my heart. If we can go there quickly. It says, to everything there is a season and a time for every matter or purpose under heaven. A time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down and a time to build up. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. A time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together. A time to embrace and a time to refrain from embracing. A time to get and a time to lose. A time to keep and a time to cast away. A time to rend and a time to sow. A time to keep silence and a time to speak. A time to love and a time to hate. A time for war and a time for peace. And then he says, what profit remains for the worker for his toil? I've seen the painful labor which God has given to sons of men with which they busy themselves. He has made everything beautiful in his time. And I want to, I just felt this morning that, you know, life, we often, if we, if we have our choice, we would, we would craft and create for ourselves an existence or a set of circumstances that that we want, that we would feel happy with, what we think we would find contentment in. And uh, here the the preacher in Ecclesiastes, he, he lays out the nature of life, and later on we will see that the Apostle Paul basically does the same, um, that he says that life is a series of events that happens, and everything, it doesn't always come to us in times that we feel that it's suitable for us. It doesn't always feel like the right time. Who of you have felt that stuff that's happening at your life at the moment is not quite the right time? Amen. It's, you know, especially if it's challenging, we always feel that it's not a good time. And, uh, we certainly feel like things like, like death or suffering or pain or sickness is never, it's never the right time. But yeah, yeah, the writer in Ecclesiastes, he, he names the different times and then he says this beautiful thing that God makes everything beautiful in its time. God makes everything beautiful in its time. And even in the, even in the hardest of circumstances, if we fix our eyes upon Jesus, if we, if we ask God, God give us your perspective from this situation, give us your perspective on these set of circumstances, we will find, as long as we keep our eyes upon Jesus, we will find something of the beauty of God, even in something as tragic as death. I remember when my when my father passed away a couple of years ago. Um, I remember that I was I was full with so much sadness. I was on a ministry trip in the UK when he passed away, but luckily he released me before he, he wasn't sickly. He went in for a routine operation and didn't make it off the, off the operation table. Uh, so it was kind of sudden for us. And, it, and of course it was, it was heartbreaking and tragic for me. But amidst all of that, 
when I fix my eyes upon Jesus, when I ask the Holy Spirit to come to be that comforter that He has promised, and the Lord started giving me scriptures that 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 defied my feelings and my my view about death, and 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 He gave me a scripture that says, "Precious in the eyes of the Lord is the death of His saints." I thought, "How can that be?" How can, how can something that is so heartbreaking for me, I'm a son of God, I'm loved by God, how can, how can something like that be precious to God? And then the Lord just started showing me that the reality is from scripture that if we are absent in the body, we are present with the Lord. And all of a sudden, that scripture that said that, that death was swallowed up in victory, and, and I could truly begin to say, Death, where is your sting? And grave, where is your victory? Because I realize that my Father is truly with the Lord. You know, there's nothing that tests our theology than reality. You know, we all believe in life after death until someone dies. And then we really need to ask ourselves, is this really, truly what I believe? Or is this just part of my cognitive theology? And so even in something as tragic as death, I believe that God can create beauty. I believe in the midst of suffering, in the midst of, of tragedy, in the midst of trying times, in the midst of droughts, in the, in the midst of economic uncertainty, in the midst of political uncertainty, as long as we keep our eyes fixed on Jesus, we will be able to respond accurately to our situation. Instead of trying to use the gospel to create for ourselves a set of circumstances and situations that pleases us. And I want to, I want to read to you from a portion of scripture. I'm going to read it from the message because, not that I think that the message is, is the most accurate translation, but I do want to read it to you from the message because it says it so beautifully. It's from Corinthians, 2 Corinthians 6. And I want to read the end of it first because Paul is speaking here to the Corinthian church. And he says, dear, dear Corinthians, in verse 11 to 13, dear, dear Corinthians, I can't tell you how much I long for you to enter this wide open, spacious life. I want you to take note of that because we're going to read forward or backwards and then I'm going to tell you what Paul sees as a wide open, spacious life. He says, we didn't fence you in. The smallest you feel comes from within you. Your lives aren't small, but you're living them in a small way. I'm speaking as plainly as I can and with great affection. Open up your lives. Live openly and expansively. Now let's look at what Paul saw as a wide, open, spacious life. Because I think if we think about wide, open, spacious life, it's freedom, it's, you know, everything's going according to plan. Uh, um, life is just great. Everything, every prophecy is coming to fulfillment. Every word I understand, every situation, I'm fully aware what this means. And here Paul, he says this, and he's writing to the Corinthian church. He says, I heard your call in the nick of time. The day you needed me, I was there to help. Well, now is the right time to listen, the day to be helped. Don't put it off. Don't frustrate God's work by showing up late. Throwing a question mark over everything we're doing. Our work as God's servant gets validated or not in the details. People are watching us as we stay at our post, alertly, swervingly. And now he describes the wide open space. In hard times, tough times, bad times, when we're beaten up. Everybody encouraged yet? 
<laughs> in hard times, tough times, bad times, when we're beaten up, jailed, mobbed, working hard, working late, working without eating, with a pure heart, clear head, steady hand, in gentleness, holiness, honest love, when we're telling the truth and when God's showing His power, when we're doing our best setting things right, and when we are praised and when we are blamed and when we are slandered and honored, true to our word, though distrusted, ignored by the world, but recognized by God, terrifically alive, though rumored to be dead, beaten within an inch of our lives, but refusing to die, immersed, in tears, yet always filled with deep joy, living on handouts, yet enriching many, having nothing, having it all. This is the wide open, spacious life that the apostle calls the church to. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that so how life is? The Bible is not, is not a set, it's not something that should remove us from reality, but give us the ability to deal with the realities of life. And so many times we we try to use the gospel to create something for us that would suit us, that would take us out of this. But Paul actually says, man, this is what life is about. This is where grace and mercy meets. This is where the reality of grace touches our lives and we become terrifically alive, even in the face of death. And this is what I, I want to encourage us this morning, that you know, sometimes we, we so desperately want to understand everything and there's no, there's nothing wrong with trying to understand everything. But sometimes I feel that we, we so want to understand everything that we keep on eating from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Is this right or is it wrong? You, we look at situations. Is it right or is it wrong? Is it fair? Is it not fair? Is it just? Is it unjust? That we so look to find out what is it? Is this good or is this not good? Is this right or is this wrong? And we start eating from the tree of the knowledge of the, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil instead of eating from the tree of life. And God has called us to, you know, for the Ephesian church when He calls them back from that place where they fell away from their first love and He says, now come, come back, repent and return to the first works. So that I won't take your lampstand away from you. And the promise that he gives them, if they overcome, if they do this, he says you will, you will be given the privilege or the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the midst of the, of the garden or the midst of paradise. And I believe that the Lord is calling his church not so much to be caught up in wranglings of what is right and what is wrong and how things should be and how things shouldn't be. But God is calling us in the midst of everything to think, how should I respond to this? Not that I would, I would say, God, don't let there be hard times, but that we rather say, God, God, how do I deal with right, with hard times? It's, be, it's a beautiful thing when the early believers, when Peter and James, when they are flogged to an inch of their death and they, and they come back to the believers and they report how they were unfairly treated. That the believers did not ask really for protection. They simply said to the Lord, they started praying. That was their first response to persecution. They prayed. They said, God, just remember those guys for what they did. And now, grant us what? Boldness. They did not pray, God, grant us protection. They said, God, grant us boldness so that when we go out, as we go out, that you would stretch out your hand. 
performing mighty signs, wonders and miracles in the name of your holy son, Jesus. So it wasn't, you know, for us, most of our, our prayers, as soon as life happens to us, we go into defense mode and we go into protectionism. Oh God, just protect me. Instead of saying, God, give me boldness. That we should really ask God more than an understanding if this right or wrong is how do I respond to my situation? How do I respond to my times? It says of the sons of Issachar, they had a, they had a specific, their blessing was the sons of Issachar had an understanding of the times that they lived in. And many people stopped there because there's a lot of people that want to stop there. But it goes on and says, and they knew what Israel ought to do. They knew how to respond. It was not just, I'm understanding my times. I'm understanding this is bad, this is hard, this is good, this is not so good. But they also knew what Israel ought to do. And I believe that is what the Lord wants for us, His church, is that we need to understand that this wide open, spacious life that the Apostle Paul talks about, what is written about in Ecclesiastes, is that there is something that life happens, but there is something that transcends our response to our situation. Therefore, we don't try to control situations. But we simply, we submit ourselves to God in the situation and say, God, how do I respond to this? How do I accurately appropriate the grace that there is that I need to engage this time? If we do this, I believe that we will start overcoming. I believe that we will, we will not become despondent. And I, this is tying to what I'm going to preach on this morning. If I'm not already preaching, I don't know. Okay. Maybe I should read some more scripture. Okay. I want to talk to you this morning about, and it ties in, we're going to tie this together about building. Who remembers the, that Jesus is building his church? Amen. And, uh, I want us to go To the book of Corinthians. One Corinthians three, chapter three, and we're going to read from verse ten. According to the grace of God given to me, I'm reading from the ESV, a skilled master builder, I laid a foundation, and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it. Let each one care, take care how he builds upon it. Each one, turn to the person next to you and say, that's you. <laughs> and then return, no, that's you. So Jesus is building his church and he's using people. He's not... He's not limited to people, thank God for that. He's not limited to us, but he does choose. In his wisdom, he does choose to use us. And even the gifts of the Holy Spirit that uh, some people use for Christian entertainment is actually for the building of the church. It's for the edification of the body. So each one must be careful how they build. So each one is a builder. It's not just a select few. It's not just the full-time people. Each and every saint... Each and every believer is a builder. 
And we must be careful how we build. The Apostle Paul is very, he's very precise and meticulous when he says this. He says, let each one take care how he builds upon it. Take note, he doesn't take care how the other guy builds upon it. Because we're really good at that. You know, he's not doing it right and she's not doing it right and she should be doing that and, and they should be doing this. No, it said that each one must be careful how? I must be careful how I build. Each one must be careful how they build. Why? Why? Listen to this. For no one can lay another foundation than which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. So we're not talking about the foundation of Jesus Christ. And later on we will see in this portion of scripture that Paul is not addressing an issue of salvation. Because even the guys that didn't want, that didn't build well, they were still saved, just as with fire. For no one can lay another foundation where that which is laid, which is Christ Jesus. Now if anyone builds on the foundation with gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay and straw, each one's work will become manifest or will be tested for the day will disclose it because it will be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone has built on the foundation, which is Christ Jesus, survives, he will receive a reward. If anyone's work is burnt up, he will suffer loss, though he himself will be saved, but only as through fire. So we can see he's not talking about, it's not a salvation issue. This is a reward issue. Now I, don't, now I, I know that for many in the church, it's just a salvation issue. You know, if I have Jesus, as long as I get to heaven, as long as I can get, I, I get not to go to hell, that will be great. And that is really great. But I do believe that Jesus came for more than getting you out of hell. It is that you would not perish, but also that you would have eternal life. And, and we'll see that he names the building, the building blocks, what we use. He calls it gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, and straw. And he doesn't make, he doesn't say, you know, wood, hay, and straw is not legitimate building. You can't build with it. You can. But the problem with it is temporary. It will not stand the test of fire. It will not stand in the day of fire. It will not withstand the test because everyone's work will be tested. Now, I don't want to scare you. If you have Jesus, I believe that you are saved and you will be saved, but your work will still be tested. And now between your salvation now and the day of Christ and the day that that work will be tested is the only time that you will be able to work not for salvation, but work for reward. And so wood and hay and straw, they are all legitimate building materials. Gold and silver and precious stones is legitimate building materials, but they differ in the way that they test. What happens to wood and straw and, and hay in fire? It burns away, right? It disappears. It, it disappears to ashes to the place that it cannot be restored at all. What happens to gold and silver and precious stones? I knew this about gold and silver that when you heat it up, impurities, and it actually becomes, it becomes more pure and more precious as it goes through fire. But I didn't know that it, it happens to precious stones as well. 
precious stones by and large, if they are just taken out of the ground, they are not as sparkling and beautiful as they appear in jewelry shops. But as soon as they are put under pressure and heat, especially, they start to discolor, they start to take on their very precious and specific color, and attributes of them that cannot be seen with a naked eye is revealed as it is heated up. So, we can decide with what we build. If we're going to build with things that are temporary, that brings a measure of building, but as soon as it is tested, it disappears. And the Bible actually says in that day, there will be people that suffer loss. And here is it, the Apostle Paul is not speaking about salvation. He's not degrading the work of Jesus. He's not making that secondary. He says that, man, we're building on this foundation, but there is a work to be done that you can choose with what you build. You can build with that which is precious. You can build with that which can withstand fire. In fact, when it goes through fire, it increases in value. It increases in It can sometimes shift a little bit of shape, but it remains gold. It remains silver. It cannot be destroyed by fire. And the Apostle Paul is here. He says, if you build with those things, there will be a reward. There will be a reward for you. For those that do not build in that way, for them, there will be loss. Have you ever considered that? That on the day of Christ, that there will be people that will be saved but have a sense of loss. That's what Paul's saying. He doesn't say that, you know, they'll just lose what they have. He says, and and he doesn't say they will have a, a sense of loss. He says they will suffer loss. In other words, it's going to be something that's going to, not. it's not going to be nice. It's not going to be good. It's not going to be, oh, well, I lost everything. You're going to suffer loss. But on the other hand, if we build with gold, silver, precious stones, it says that we will receive reward. So I want to say to you that your building matters to God. Your building, the way that you build, matters to God. In fact, the Apostle Paul says, you must be careful how you build. You must think how you build. Because every one of us builds. Every one of us is building upon the foundation of Christ. We're building our lives on the foundation of Christ. We are constructing something on the foundation of Christ. And we need to understand that there is an eternal, there is something that is eternal, that we should build with eternity in mind and not just build with a temporal What happens here and now? And I believe that God is interested in our life here and now. I do believe that God is interested in our health. I believe that God is interested in in the joy that we have in, yeah, and in a certain measure happiness too. I don't think that God wants to punish us. I believe that God wants the joy, that, that God wants us to prosper in life. But that determined, that is determined by how we build. And how, how will, the way that I build my life on Christ, how is it, how does it respond to crisis? How does it respond to when the fire comes? <laughs> when, 
when it is tested on how I build, then we come to know how are we really building and, and what, are, what do we have in mind when we build. In 2 Corinthians 4, Paul speaks about this treasure in jars of clay. And once again, we have this treasure in jars of clay. Why did God choose treasure to put treasure in jars of clay? Because remember, I prayed earlier that God would grant to us a spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of Him. That He would flood the eyes of our understanding with light so we might know the hope to which He has called us. And that we might come to know and see the greatness of the incredible riches or that the inheritance that He has deposited in each and every saint. So inside of you, Inside in each and every one of you is an inheritance of Christ. Inside of you is this ability to build according, I believe, with gold and silver and precious stones. God has given us the ability to do that. And he puts this jar, this treasure in jars of clay to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. In other words, if anything good comes from this Treasure that is in, in the jars of clay. The jars of clay can take no glory. The jars cannot say, look at my jar, look at my outer appearance, look at my ability to do the will of God. But it's actually the frailty, this frailty of that we struggle with these things and yet God uses us. That in the midst of trial, in the midst of the most horrendous circumstances, if we choose to submit if we choose to approach the throne of grace to obtain that mercy and to find to find mercy and obtain grace in our time of need, that God can actually produce stuff in us that is eternal. And here he says, we are afflicted once again. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed. Who of you are sometimes perplexed? Don't understand what the heck is going on. Most of the time, if we if we're honest. We are persecuted but not forsaken. We are struck down but not destroyed. Always carrying in the body the death of Jesus. So that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our body. And here again, the Apostle Paul, and I believe this is part of an apostolic perspective on the gospel of Jesus Christ. Is that there's this, it doesn't promise us, it doesn't promise us things are going well all the time. In fact, here the Apostle Paul says, if you're really going to follow Jesus, you're going to, you're, going to, you're going to suffer persecution. And then he goes on, and he says, in verse 16, he says, So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away, our inner self is being renewed day by day. And then he says, for this momentary light affliction, this momentary light affliction is producing... A weight of glory that is immeasurable. is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. What kind of glory? Eternal. It's an eternal weight of glory. Beyond all comparison. Because as we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen, for the things that are seen are transient or temporal, but the things that are unseen are eternal. 
And the Apostle Paul says this, what he's saying to us, you know, he went through hard times. He, he was perplexed. There were times that he didn't understand. There were times that he were, that they were persecuted, but they weren't crushed. They were knocked down, but they were knocked out. But he says, I can, I'm not driven to despair. I don't want to give up. I'm, I don't become discouraged. I'm not, I'm, I'm, I'm not driven to a place of inactivity by fear or my circumstances because I fix my eyes on the things that are unseen. I fix my eyes on the things that are eternal. If we go back to Ecclesiastes in that 3 verse 11, it says, after it says that God has made everything beautiful in his time, it also says, and God has put eternity into the hearts of men. God has put eternity in the hearts of men. That's why the big question for many people are, what happens after death? We were in Taiwan, it's most gross, probably our most fruitful conversations with Buddhists is what happens when you die. And everybody, it doesn't who they are, it doesn't matter, there are even people uh, that might be rudely awakened by their thinking that there is nothing after death. But there is this thing for man, what happens when I die? Is there life after death? And the Apostle Paul says, man, fix your eyes on the things that are unseen. Build with the unseen in mind. Build with eternity in mind. Don't just build so that you can have a good life here. Do not only build for your own generation, but build for the generations that comes after you. Build for those that you haven't seen yet. Build for those that are still in our loins. We, we need to understand that we are not, if we only build for ourselves and we only think that the death of Christ is only good for this life, Paul calls us, of all people the most, to be most pitied, to be felt sorry for that we don't understand the eternities. If we do not fix our eyes on the eternities, we will always try to build something for ourselves that works here and now. So I want to encourage you that each one of you, each one of you have this gift from God. Each one of you. If you are saved, there is something of the internal inheritance in Christ that is already in you. And you can use that. And I believe that one should use that to build, to, to build carefully on the foundation of Jesus Christ. To build with your words, to build with your actions, to build with your behavior, to build upon the foundation of Jesus Christ. And in Not to so much look at the whole thing, but is this right or is this wrong? What is happening now in the politics, you know, is it right or is it wrong? What's happening with the drought, is it right? But to rather ask, how must I respond to this? Because in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 23, the Apostle Paul says, All things are lawful, but not all things are helpful. All things are lawful, but not all things build up. The question for us is not so much, is it right or is it wrong? We must start asking, is my behavior, is my speech helpful towards the advancement of the kingdom? Is my speech helpful towards the building of Christ's church? We should, this is the question that we ask. Is it helpful and does it build up? Because all of us are in a certain way building or destroying. With our words, with our actions, with our, with the way that we conduct ourselves in the household of God, in the way that we conduct ourselves in our communities, we are building or destroying. 
in our own lives, in our marriages, in our, in our, in our, in our families, in our churches. We are, everybody is building every day. We are building. It's just a question, how do we build and with what do we build? Do I build with eternity in mind? Or do I build with only so that I can be embedded, that only I can be benefited? Or are we building so to build up the rest of the body of Christ? Because this now follows. It says, after all things are lawful, but not all things build up. It says, let us, let no one seek his own good, but the good of his neighbor. I want to encourage you, when you build, build for the sake of your neighbor. Build for the sake of your neighbor. It just seems that all across the church world, everybody's sort of in Ezra and Nehemiah at the moment, and there's this one portion where discouragement comes to the people, and the people stop building. And Nehemiah, he says, back to the wall, and he says, in front of your own house, and he says this, fight for your sons. Fight for your daughters. Fight for your wives, for your families and your houses. Nowhere does it say fight for yourself. Nowhere does it say fight for yourself. Because every, if everybody fights for someone else, everybody will be fought for. If everybody fights for someone else, if everybody considers anybody, everybody else, then everybody will be considered. But as long as we try to use this gospel in a very individualistic way to make sense of my life, to make sense of my situation, to make sense of my little life, and I don't mean that in a derogatory way. I, I do honor the individual work of God in everybody's life. I, I do believe that God saved us individually, but he saved us into the body of Christ. And then when Paul writes about the body of Christ, he talks about the many-membered body of Christ, that the members of the body do not work for themselves. Now, it is they are very unique, and I want to encourage you, and I want to affirm your uniqueness. I want to affirm your uniqueness. You are unique just like everybody else. Each in our own very unique way, we are unique. But the eye, even in its uniqueness... Is not there for the sake of the eye. The eye in its very unique function and very unique structure is there for the rest of the body of Christ. It provides the rest of my body with sight. Now if I take my eye and I take it out and I start studying it, I mean it, it is it is a wondrous it is a wondrous thing. I mean, how does it take in light? How does it work? How does it how does it see depth? It's amazing. I mean, you can spend your whole life just studying the eye and the wonders of the eye, but the eye by itself, it's useless. The eye, in the context of the body, is very useful. And therefore, the Apostle Paul says that we are members of the body of Christ. And and if we understand that we are members of the body of Christ, that as I function, the rest of the body is benefited. The rest, as I function in what God has called me to, if I give, if I bring some of the inheritance of Christ that he has given me, if I bring that to the body of Christ, the body of Christ is being built up. And it's not about me. It's not about, I don't, the eye doesn't tell me every day, hey, Jan, I need some affirmation here. Can you just thank me for me? Can you just thank me for me, you for me? Can you just, so, and every cell in your body is, 
is unique and they've got beautiful functions and they can't fulfill one another's function. And if the whole body doesn't function well, then the body becomes ill and disabled. But each of you, I want to encourage you that each of you in the body of Christ have a beautiful purpose. It's part of the inheritance of Christ. So when you don't bring your part, not only do you not function and not only do you get not get benefited, but the whole body suffers. That's what the Apostle Paul says. If, if one part of the body suffers, the whole body suffers. But if one part rejoices, the whole body rejoices. So I want to encourage you this morning, each and every one of you, that you can bring who you are and that you bring who you are, whether that's in a good season, a bad season, like Paul says, this wide, open, spacious life. We can't wait until everything is sorted out before we start giving. We can't. Who of you have been perfected completely already, manifestly? Oh, you're not here this morning. You've been raptured. <laughs> or maybe that other guy that's at home. But every one of us, jars of clay. Yes, jars of clay. But what's inside of us is incredible, rich treasure of God. I want to encourage all of you this morning. Maybe you are bringing. Maybe you are bringing who you are. Maybe you are contributing to the body of Christ. Maybe you are praying. Maybe you are operating and flowing in the gifts. And if you are, I want to thank you and I want to honor God for that. And I want to ask you more. For those of you that feel that you cannot, what holds you back? Your own feelings, your own hurts, your own disappointments, your own offenses. But what about the truth of God? What about that wide open spacious life that God has called us into? And we operate we respond to our situations. We don't discuss it endlessly, which isn't bad in itself, but if we're only part of the discussion of how bad it is, how are we contributing? How are we contributing? And each of one of you, there's reward for you. Each one of you. It says everyone's work will be tested as in the day of fire. So there's reward for you. Maybe you're saying, well, as long as I, I just get saved, you know, like the guy that suffered lost, but thank God I'm saved, I'm going to be with Jesus, and I don't really care about the reward. I want to ask you, if God is a rewarder, Hebrews 11, he who comes to God must believe that God, firstly believe that God is, and he is a what? A rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There is a reward for you, for each and every one of you. And I believe it is the heart of the Father to give you that reward. I believe it is truly the heart of the Father that everyone will receive their reward. And that reward is determined how we give ourselves now. So I want to ask us all, give yourself in humility. When you give yourself, when you do something, don't do it to be seen, but do it simply I want to be a blessing. I want to be a boulder in the body of Christ. 
when I pray, when I speak to people, when I speak to, when I speak to George about Sias, will it be edifying? Or will it be breaking down? When I ask God, when I come to a meeting and desire earnestly the gift, or when, wherever you are, desire earnestly the gift, are you desiring earnestly the gift so that people will see how spiritual you are? Or is it really your heart? God, won't you use me today? God, won't you use me today that when I speak, when you release something in me and through me, God, that the body of Christ will be built up. That when, when we leave one another, people are like, man, I came in here and I was kind of down and now I just see the glories of Christ and life is worth living again. You not only have the, the ability but I also believe that we do have the responsibility to do that so that there will be reward and so that Christ will be glorified in our midst. Is it right or is it wrong? No. We should move past that. I'm not saying that we shouldn't discern what is right and what is wrong. Because I want to tell you that uh, what is wrong will always be not helpful. What is wrong will always not build up. We need to move from a place where I don't operate out of right and wrong. But I operate from a place I consider Christ and I consider his body. The gift that you've placed within me, it might not be perfect, God. It's in a jar of clay, but I'm going to give it, God. I'm going to bring myself. I'm going to give my life to see that the body of Christ is being built up. I'm going to worship in a way that builds up your body. I'm going to speak in your way. I'm going to attend in a way that builds up your body. I'm not going to be a passive. I'm not going to be continually passive. But I'm going to be continually active in seeking out the well-being of my brother and my sister. Above myself. Above myself. I'm going to lay down. I'm going to lay down continual navel gazing. I'm not against introspection. But you have only introspection and you don't look out. You are going to spiral down into who you are. I believe I'm releasing this message to people that are already doing it, but there's a a lot of people that need to hear this. You have precious inheritance inside of you. Please, please, please don't keep it to yourself. Give it to the body. And give it to people that really need it. Live your life. By laying down your life. Greater love has no one than he who lays down his life for a friend. I think we live in a society when everything is about self-actualization, self-assertiveness. You are number one. You are the most important person. Look out for number one. Realize and actualize yourself. And the gospel actually says something completely different. It says lay down your life. And as you lay down your life, life truly, life truly becomes meaningful.
Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share. Sing.